Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I want to share a scripture with you really quick. Uh, you don't need to turn there, but Isaiah 52, 6, this was on my heart this morning. The Lord said through the prophet Isaiah, he said, but I will reveal my name to my people. I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. And I feel what's been happening over these last few weeks is that God has been revealing his name to us, which is more than just a way to identify the Lord. We're, we're, we're encountering God himself because those names are expressions of who he is. And as a result, we're encountering the power that's behind those names. And so we're going to uh, keep doing that. I just want to let you guys know that in the welcome table, some of you this may be helpful, some of you it may not. I like stuff like this. My wife hates it. <laughs> But I do. I created just real quick a sheet. It's not exhaustive by any means, but it provides names of God the Father, uh, Holy Spirit, and also Jesus. Because we will probably finish this series uh, next week or at most a week after. So we are not covering a, a large amount of names. But I just want you to know there are so many different ways that God reveals himself. And there is such power in those names. Uh, the Father, he's El Shaddai. He's the Almighty One. Uh, he's, he's the Lord who sees. He's the Lord, my banner. Holy Spirit's the breath of the Almighty. Holy Spirit's the, the spirit of adoption, spirit of burning, spirit of glory, spirit of knowledge, spirit of understanding. Jesus, the bread of life, bridegroom, bright morning star. He's, he's the bishop of our souls, Peter says. I mean, you go on and on. There is just so much life when you study these. And so I pray that, that this series, all it's doing is just just provoking you to want to know God's names. And also when you read the scriptures and you see God revealing a name, I pray that your spiritual antennas will go up and you'll know that, that there's something really significant here. All right? So that's in the back. If, if we need more, we can always print more out later. Um, but today we're going to move into uh, talking about the second person of the Trinity. And I want to talk about, there's many names that I just went through with Jesus that we could go over, but I want to talk about the most common way that we identify the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus Christ. So I know it's really foundational, but, but hopefully uh, there will be some, uh, some weightiness to this and uh, we'll learn some things. And I don't want to just take for granted that we understand that because that name, that name, that expression comes up so often in the scriptures that if you're like me, I was convinced early on that that was just his first and last name. <laughs> I thought first name Jesus, last name Christ, and I just thought that's what it was. Uh, but that, that's not the case. But if you feel that, that's okay. <laughs> You're going to learn something new then today. Uh, those are two separate names or titles. He's Jesus, that's his personal name, but he is the Christ. That is the supreme title that he has been given. And so we're going to look at that. And, and I think Jesus Christ is something that we emphasize a lot. We say it all the time. But I, uh, I want to make sure that there's weight there's weight to that expression when we say it. We pray Jesus Christ. I mean, we've probably said it so many times already today. But here's what I want to be clear on is that it's really good to have language that we unify around. It's really good to know that he's Jesus Christ and for us all to be able to say that. But we need to have more than just right language. We need to have faith in the language that we are expressing. The power of, of in the name of Jesus Christ is found when there is faith in what we are saying. And so often we can be saying Jesus Christ and not really understand the magnitude of what it is that we are expressing. I, I think of, um, I was thinking about Acts chapter 3. It's a story we emphasize a lot. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a layman at the temple. I know we've been through this. 
But here's the point is that when they healed the man who was looking for silver and gold, Peter and John said, we don't have that, but here's what we do have. In the name, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, pick up your mat and walk. It was in the name of Jesus Christ that he was healed. And later on, when the crowds begin to circle around Peter because they were so stirred by this man who had been lame for 40 years and now was leaping and jumping and celebrating, Peter began to preach to them. And in verse 16, he says, this man was healed by faith in the name of Jesus. In other words, they weren't just going around like a magical trick and just saying, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. They had faith for what that name represented. And as a result, there was breakthrough and healing and deliverance that would take place. So that's my heart, is that we would, we would have faith for when we say Jesus Christ, okay? So um, because we often say Jesus Christ together, I want to address it together. At least that's the plan. I'll be honest, we may not get into Christ today. We'll see how it goes. Um, and that's okay. We'll do it next week. But if we do, I, I want to address it because we often couple that together, Jesus Christ. So we're going to first look at Jesus. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. Verses uh, 20 and 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. And if you have a Bible, phone, anything, look around. Someone next to you if you don't have one. Again, we're going to be looking at Jesus Christ. And we're going to start with just the name Jesus today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. So this is where an angel is going to come to Joseph. Joseph is, is what is called, uh, he's betrothed to Mary. So it's kind of like our engagement. Uh, that's the way we would kind of understand it for us today. It's, it's, it's actually more, more of a commitment than just that. But he's betrothed to Mary. And obviously we, we know that Mary has been told by an angel that she's going to give birth to this miracle child, that Joseph is not going to be a part of the, the process. Okay, we're using PG terms right now. <laughs> Joseph is not going to be involved in this. And so you can imagine that Joseph, this is a really, uh, um, this, this takes a lot of faith to believe this. And so Joseph, whether or not I, he's wrestling with it or he believes, but he knows the people will not believe it. Joseph was actually going to send Mary away because Joseph knew that under the law to commit adultery when you were betrothed, you could be stoned to death. And so it says that he's actually going to send her away. But in doing that, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and begins to speak to him. And this is what it says in verse 20. But as he considered these things, meaning as he was considering to send Mary away, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. That's really, really significant. I, I don't, that's not what I'm teaching on, but... Son of David, because Jesus came from the line of, of David. He is the true son of David. That's extremely significant that it says that. But it says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here, here's the key, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> All the name Jesus. Listen, as believers, as Christians, we have come to love and know the sweetness of the name Jesus. I, I, was, um, I was reminded this week, how many of you were with us over the summer when we taught through the Song of Solomon? Is anyone there for like two people? <laughs> a few? We went through the Song of Solomon. We spent almost two months on that. If you've never read it, it's a book that describes an actual love story of a bridegroom bride. 
And it's really beautiful and you can apply it on a natural level. But we know that all scripture is God-breathed, which means it's written by the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit's primary role is always to testify to Jesus. And therefore, every book in the Bible really is about pointing to Jesus. And so we approach that book from that angle. And, and we saw the true bridegroom is Jesus, the true bride is the church. So in the opening few verses, it starts off with the bride, the church, confessing her love for the bridegroom. And one of the things that she says, she talks about how his love is better than wine, which is all beautiful imagery for the Holy Spirit. But then she says in verse 3, she says, and his name, his name is like oil poured out. His name is like oil poured out. And what she's talking about is perfume, right? And when you pour out perfume, there is this beautiful fragrance that is released. And the bride, the church, was describing their, how they see the name of Jesus. And they say when the name of Jesus is said, oh, there is something so beautiful about it. Oh, there is something so pleasant about it. There is something that is so attractive about it. For us as believers, we have come to know the sweetness of the name of Jesus. It is the name that has brought rest to our weary souls. <laughs> it is the name that has brought joy when we felt like we were down and out. It's the name that has brought hope. It's the name that has brought peace in the midst of anxiety. You can go on and on. How sweet is the name of Jesus. And so my hope is uh, as we go through this that we would, we would experience his name poured out like oil this morning. How sweet is the name of Jesus. Now look at this. We're going to teach a little bit this morning. Not only is his name significant, but also the way in which his name is given is very significant. Notice that it says this. The angel says, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel says to Joseph, you shall call him Jesus. Now, why is this significant? I just want you to track with me for a moment. We'll come back into this. How many of you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Some people remember this. So Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Jacob is one of the primary patriarchs. God says that I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, when, when they were born, Esau came out first, Jacob came out second, grabbing the heel of Esau. It's actually part of what his name means, grabber of heel. It also means deceiver. Why? Because he would steal the birthright of his elder brother Esau. It's a long story, but he would take it, which is very significant. He, he stole the blessing of the firstborn. And at the end of the day, he had to go on the run as Esau actually wanted to kill him. Well, while he's on the run, Genesis 32 comes up, and he has an encounter with an angel of the Lord or a representative of God. And in this, it's a really strange encounter where he actually wrestles with this angel of the Lord. Not just for like a minute, but, but actually it says through, through the night into the next day. And it says that as daybreak is coming, he, he, the, the angel of the Lord says, let me go before daybreak is here. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. Not until you bless me. And the response of the angel is really interesting. The angel says, tell me your name. Tell me your name. Now here's my question. Do you think the angel of the Lord who wrestled with Jacob through hand-to-hand -hand combat through the night until the next morning had no idea of who he was wrestling with? Of course he knew. It's because in the, in the, in the Hebrew culture, the ability to name something was a sign of authority over that person. When he asked for his name, what he's really saying is submit, surrender, tap out, right? And so finally he says, my name is Jacob. And then the angel of the Lord says, well, actually, now I'm going to change it to Israel, which is so significant to change someone's name. Jacob then says, well, what's your name? And the angel of the Lord does not give his name. Because what he's saying is you do not have authority to ask for that from me. 
This idea of naming and authority goes all the way back into Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. And he essentially imputed a measure of his authority and dominion to Adam and Eve. And what did he tell Adam to do? The way that that authority was expressed was through Adam having the ability to name the animals. He could name everything. This was a sign that he had authority. So, l- listen, how many are parents in here? We haven't, yeah, woo. <laughs> I don't know if that's a tired woo or excited. <laughs> but we have an understanding. Every parent in here, you've named your child. That's very significant. That means that you have a measure of authority for at least for the first few years. <laughs> Right? That you, in essence, you own them. They're yours. So you come back into this account where the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph. Imagine this. The angel comes to Joseph and says, you shall name him Jesus. He stripped Joseph of the right to name this child. In other words, what he's saying is, Joseph, you will not have authority over this child. This child will have authority over you. Joseph, you will not manage this child. This child will actually manage your life. This child will be different, Joseph. This child will have a unique relationship with the father himself. And so the first thing is the way in which the name is given. And what is the name? It's Jesus. Now, what does Jesus mean? Jesus, in essence, in the Greek, esu, means the one who saves. Jesus saves. But Jesus in the Greek is what what Joshua was in the Hebrew. What Jesus is in the Greek is what Joshua was in the Hebrew. And Joshua in the Hebrew is Yehoshua. Yehoshua or Yeshua, some people say it differently. It's actually two words combined, Yahweh and salvation. So Joshua actually means Yahweh saves. And Jesus is the Greek form of that. So when we say Jesus, what we're saying is, in essence, Yahweh saves. Jesus saves. Jesus is Yahweh. Do you remember who Joshua was? He's the one who ultimately would take over for the leadership of Moses and lead the people into the promised land that God had always destined for them to go. By, by what? By defeating the enemies in the land of Canaan. And then ultimately, Joshua became representative of one who would lead the people into a place of blessing, inheritance, promise, into the fullness of God. So when we say the name Jesus, we're saying Jesus is the fulfillment of what Joshua was in the Old Testament. He is the true one who leads us into the promised land of God. <laughs> He is the true one who has defeated sin, sickness, and death and has triumphed over evil and has opened up the fullness of inheritance to us that we would be co-heirs with Christ. Incredible, incredible. What kind of savior do we have? I was thinking about this. When, when a lifeguard saves someone, saves a young boy, they, they bring the boy, let's say they take a young boy, they bring him back to the shore and then what do they do? They give them to the child and they go back to their post to continue their work. Or if a police officer were to save someone, come on the site of a car crash and save someone out of that crash, uh, the family may be just so moved with tears of joy that they may say, thank you for saving my, my family, my child. And the police officer may respond with something like this, I was just doing my job. See, in that sense, that's, that saving is about commitment to one's work. Jesus does not save us simply because he's committed to his work. Jesus saves us because he is committed to his creation. He is committed to his children. If he was the lifeguard, it would be like the father going out to save his son and bring him back and never letting him go again. (laughs) This is the kind of savior that we have. He is committed to us. Why did he come? Because he loves us. He is committed to us. Uh, How many of you know of the, uh, how many of you have ever seen the, the fish symbol? The fish symbol, right? 
you drive down the road, you see the, uh, the bumper sticker, and you see JC, Jesus Christ, something like that, and you see that, that fish that's almost like a stick figure. Well, how many of you actually know what, what that represents? Anyone? Some? Okay, we got a few, Phil. That's good. <laughs> so, so in the first about 400 years of, of, of Christianity, the early church was fiercely persecuted. It wasn't until Constantine was the first Roman empire, emperor to be converted that prior to that, Christians, it was, it was something we really can't imagine. Gladiators getting put out there to fight and all those things. So what they had to do is they had to come up with a secret code that they could meet together without being arrested and killed. And so they created what is known as this symbol of a fish. And so what would happen is you can read historical stories where they would travel, let's just say they were meeting at a cave, and they would draw that in, inside the cave so that when Christians came and they saw the fish, they know that was the spot. I read historical pieces of uh, different members from house churches would come to meet each other. They didn't have Facebook to see each other's faces in advance. So they would be in an open crowd, a, 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 if you like a square, where there's many people, a marketplace. And again, they didn't have the luxury to say, are you the Christian, are you the Christian? Because they'd be arrested and, and, uh, and death would be definitely impending, uh, would be right around the corner. And so what they would do is one would show up and in the dirt, it said many stories that he would, he would outline that fish in the dirt. And that he would stand by that fish and that the other man would come and he would look for the fish in the ground. When he saw the fish and the one standing there, he would know that this was the Christian he was looking for. Why? Well, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the words, but if you parse that out, it actually becomes an acronym. And this is what it means. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And the idea is this, is that in that little acronym, the early church felt that they had captured the essence of what Jesus came to do. He is Jesus the Christ, Son of God, and he has come to save. When they condensed, like the, again, they crystallized the, the very essence for why Jesus had come, they said it can be summed up right in this acronym. He is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and he has come to save us. <laughs> he has come to rescue us. Now, there are many beautiful subpoints to Jesus coming to earth. Like, there are so many that we should teach, celebrate, like, let our lives come into alignment with. But all of those, according to this text right here, really come under this primary reason right here. It says that Jesus Christ came to save. To save. To save. Jesus Christ came as Savior from our sins. Save. Jesus is Savior. That word save, it's the word sozo, sozo in the Greek. It's such a loaded word because salvation is such a, a we often limit, limit it into, we have like a specific thought of we have hope of an eternal life and that is so big and so a part of it. But sozo is such a weighty word because what happened in the garden is when sin entered in, four major relationships were severed. Our relationship with God, first and foremost, our relationship with each other, man to man, our relationship with ourselves, shame, guilt, all these things come in. And our relationship with creation. Creation, uh, the, the ground was cursed. And so the point is that when it says that one has come to save us, every single one of those broken relationships he's restoring. Every single one of those. So in essence, when, when you see forgiveness be extended from an enemy to another one and there's now reconciliation, that's a picture of salvation. When you see someone get delivered, it's a picture of salvation. When you see someone healed, it's a picture of salvation. This is why Jesus often said when he healed someone, he would say this. He would say, your faith, 
your faith has made you well. That word made you well is actually sozo. It literally means your faith has saved you. So when we talk about Jesus coming, the weight of that, that every single thing that was broken in the garden, Jesus said, I have come to restore it, to redeem it, to set it right. It hinges on my shoulders. And I will make a way for all of these things to be set right in how God had intended. But here's, I share all that because I want you to understand the fullness of it. But the reality is that in this text, there is something very specific that the angel says. Because although there's many avenues that we can go and, and explore about salvation, what does he specifically say? He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. It's really, really important. And listen, this may get intense for a, little, for, for a moment, but it's really important that we grasp like, what's being said here so we understand what we were saved from and what Jesus has actually done. And I believe like last week, hey, wasn't last week, it was just incredible, huh? <laughs> From the, from the worship all the way through to ministry at the end, there was such a weightiness. And we, we were speaking about the lordship of Jesus. Like that's a pretty intense topic of getting set free by actually saying you're master over my life. And I believe like people will get set free again when we understand what he has saved us from. What he has saved us from. Because it says from our sins. And when I hear that, I know from my own life and others, it's like, well, is it really necessary for him to come and die for me? Isn't that a little bit over the top? Wasn't that a little bit extreme? Um, I'm really not that bad, especially, look at the person next to me, <laughs> right? We have these thoughts, like, I'm not bad as that person, or I was, I was bad when I was younger, but I've gotten better today. Uh, I certainly don't do the things I want. And I'll never forget, I heard a pastor speaking about this thing, and it rocked my world because he, he really taught on, on the offensiveness of sin, how that's measured. And here's, here's the deal. He said he was ministering in the Middle East. And while he was there, uh, he struck up a conversation with one of his cab drivers, who I think happened to be Muslim. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember exactly. But either way, he was definitely one who was spiritual and didn't believe in Jesus. And so this man was asking, how could the father put the son to die? And how could the son say yes? And, and is it really necessary to, for death to take place? And so he gave this story. Uh, he said, well, let me, let me ask you this. And just li listen through. He said... Well, I want to I ask you something. If I, if I were to jump into the front seat, just bear with me. He said, if I were to smack you in the face, he said, what would you do? And the man said, well, I'd throw you out of my cab. He said, and I would expect you to do that. He says, now there's all these military guards walking up and down the street. What if I were to get out of the cab and smack one of them in the face? What, what do you think they would do? And they'd say, they'd beat you and they'd throw you into prison. And he said, and what if I went up to your king and I smacked him in the face? What would happen? His eyes got wide and he says, you'd be put to death. And the point was this, is that, is that he said, you see, the offensiveness of sin is not measured by the act itself. Because in all cases, there was the same act. The offensiveness of sin is about the one who was sinned against. See, the reason why it says the wages of sin is death is not a revelation of an angry, cruel, tyrant God who says, I'm God and this is what I want to do. It's actually a revelation of his infinite holiness. It's a revelation of his pure righteousness. Listen, he is so set apart and so perfect and so righteous that the only reasonable response to sin before him is that there would be death. But the good news is, is that God would send his son to save us and pay that penalty for us. It's a glorious reality. This is why, this is why we have to share with people, I'm a pretty good person. It's not about that. We have to understand it's about our sin is always before the Lord. 
When, when, when Joseph was almost trapped into committing adultery with Potiphar's wife, what did he say? He said, shall I sin against the Lord? He said, my sin's really not against Potiphar, it's against the Lord. And because it's against an infinite God, we have to see it in that sense. Actually, it's an incredible, the fact that the wage of sin is death should actually move our heart to say, how holy is this God? How righteous is this God? How just is this God? And then our hearts explode with the fact that Jesus fully, fully took on what we could never do for ourselves so that we shall be saved. So what are we, like, right, what are we saved from, right? Well, it says from our sins. But here's the idea is that God saves us, right? Jesus is Savior. Yahweh saves. We know that God saves us, but really, what is he saving us from? And I don't know if you've ever thought about this way. And again, you've got to stay with me to get the full, the full picture. But it says that he saves us from sins. Why? Because if we were to die without a covering for our sins, we die in a state of unrighteousness. And before a righteous God, what that means is the Bible says that there is a righteous judgment that will come on the last day. And that righteous judgment is known as the wrath of God. So, so, so check this out. God saves us from who? From God. You ever think about that? God saves us from himself. Now, what do I mean by that? And I'm going to show you in scripture. It's so clear. What do I mean? Does that mean that the father's chasing us around saying, I want to destroy you. And Jesus is like, quickly, come to me, come to me, come to me. No, 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 no. It was in the father's heart to reconcile us back to himself. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. The gospel is God initiated, Christ accomplished. God says, I love you so much that I want you. So when we talk about God saving us from himself, it's not that he's against us and the son is for us. Oh, no, 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 no. His heart is longing for every human being to respond to the salvation that he has made possible. It doesn't mean that when we say we're saved from God that our salvation leads us further from God. Not at all. It's unto, the gospel is unto union with God. God wants reconciliation. He wants us near to him. The issue, though, is righteousness. We can't draw near to a holy God without righteousness. So he who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God, that we could draw near to him. Just, just listen to these. John 3.36, just don't turn there, just listen. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on him. God's righteous judgment remains on him. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from him, by him, from the wrath of God? So God saved us from God himself. Listen, for God so loved the world that he took initiation to send a savior to satisfy his own standard of justice. That's how much he loves the world. He said, I can't deny who I am, so here's what I'll do. I will pay the price for you that all who call upon my son's name shall be saved. This is why Paul says in Romans 3.26 that God is both the just and the justifier of the redeemed. He's both the just that says I am just and therefore the penalty has to be death. But I'm also the justifier that I will step off my throne and pay it for you. Woo! That is life. <laughs> that is life. <laughs> He did it for us. Listen, the, the, man, the, the wrath of God, the wrath of God, I want you to hear this. The righteous judgment of God, it is an extension of his goodness. Do you know that? 
I don't know how it's been presented, but I rejoice that God is coming with righteous judgment because it's in his righteous judgment that he purges the world of sin. See, if he withheld his righteous judgment and didn't pour it out on the Son, we would still be bound in sin. So he took his righteous judgment, the wrath, and poured it on the righteous one so that all that Jesus is could be put on us. And he will come back again, it says in the scriptures, and he will come back again for the, for the final judgment, right? The righteous judgment of God, the wrath of God. And when he comes back, he will come back doing the very same thing that he poured out in the sun. There will be a righteous judgment that he brings. There will be a righteous judgment that he brings. Beloved, how do we stand in that day? <laughs> like, what do we really say from? How do we stand in that day? It's righteousness. Paul said in Acts 17.30, Paul said that there is a fixed day coming. A fixed day. It's not maybe, it's not possibly, it's not, it's not uh, uh, you know, if, if we want it to be. Paul says it's coming. He actually goes on to say that the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the assurance that this day is coming. We just celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Every time our lives testify to the resurrection of Jesus, we are sending out a global warrant, a global evidence, a global proof that he's coming back. But listen, when he comes back, the fact that, that he's coming back. This is such good news that he's coming back as the righteous judge to fully and totally deliver us. Fully and totally deliver us. If he does not come back and release his wrath to judge the world in sin, we cannot have the hope of the new heavens, new earth. We cannot have the fullness of new creation where nothing will ever hinder us from God himself again. Where, where, where he will be our God and we will be his people. And he will come and personally wipe away every tear. He will personally wipe away every sadness and every sorrow in our life. The hope of that is he has to purge the world of sin, and he does that through, through, right, through his righteous judgment. And so Paul says there's a fixed day coming, and it will be a judgment of righteousness. A judgment of righteousness, and the Son will be the one who does it. So what does that mean? When Jesus returns, he will judge in righteousness. It's really simple. The standard by which Jesus judges by is himself, his righteousness. <laughs> There is only two camps a person can fall in when that, when that day comes, that fixed day. Unrighteous, righteous. That's it. Here's my question. How do you move from the camp of unrighteousness to righteousness? You can't do it through good works. You, you can't do it because family members know the Lord. You, you can't do it through, through having a successful career. You can't do it through being a pretty good person. You can't do it for providing and taking care of your kids. Those are beautiful things, things that we should do, biblical things. But there is one way that we move from unrighteousness to righteousness and are saved, and that is by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. This is why our hearts, we long to share the reality that we have a Savior, the righteous one who offered up himself to be our substitute. And I don't know how God has been presented to you, but I, I can tell you this, when you get in the scriptures, my heart always breaks when when. The Father is presented again as one who is eager to see his creation that he formed, that he unconditionally loves, be eternally separated from him. That is not what we see in Scripture. When Jesus came into Jerusalem for, the, for Palm Sunday, it says that Jesus wept when many did not receive him and understand the hour of peace that was there. And I tell you this, that God will again weep. He will weep when many do not receive the means of salvation that he has provided. He has provided, he has provided a savior. Second Peter, I think it's around 3.9, says that God is slow in, in his return. Not in slow in keeping his promise. Not like that. It says, but he's patient. 
Because he desires that none shall perish. He desires that all will grab hold of Jesus, who he has sent to be Savior of the world. This is, this is the parable of the wedding banquet. When, when the father is pictured as a king who sends out invitations to come to his son's wedding feast. It's a picture of salvation. And it says the father sends out these invitations longing for people to respond. But sadly, many say, I have a career to go to, I have a job, I have this, and they do not respond. But the father says, then go to the highways and byways. <laughs> go to wherever you can find someone who wants to come in, for this, this wedding feast will be filled. Beloved, there is a passion in the heart of God, the father, to send out invitations through his church to say, let my people know the doors of salvation are open. His desire is that none shall perish. And when we get born again and we get saved, Listen, we get justified before God, which means that we are declared in right standing. I'm like, my heart is being so moved by the, the necessity of righteousness. And when we get set in right relationship with God, we are justified, meaning we've been declared righteous. You know what happens when you get justified with God? The Bible says the peace of God hits your heart. The freedom of God hits your heart. The, the Bible says inheritance is the fruit of being justified. And he who saved you, is saving you right now, the scripture says. Meaning you're being sanctified now. He says, I am keeping you and making you look more and more like myself. And he who is saving you, the scriptures say, will save you. Meaning there's a day of glorification coming. He says, I am faithful to finish the work that I started. So when we gather and we say, Jesus, it's healer, it's savior, it's all of these things that come in salvation. But the angel said, but here's what I want you to know. He will save you from your sins. He is the righteous one. Mm. We say, Jesus, the door's been open. God has saved us from his own justice. By putting all that was meant to be on us on him. Amen. Are you with me? Is there anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus and needs to be saved? It's not meant to be a moment of, uh, of force and manipulation. It's a beautiful moment that Jesus is available today. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. Well, listen, by the time we're over, like we just, I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like things are done in secret. Like if, if you want to believe in Jesus, fill the card out in the corner and don't let anyone know. No, like my Jesus died openly for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're just not, we're just unafraid and, and unashamed to, to say I, I want Jesus. So I just want you to know that that. You want, you want to receive prayer? Yeah, Pastor Crystal, come on up here with her. Come on up, come on up. Come on. What was your name again? What? Carolyn, yeah. Can I, can I, Carolyn, Carolyn, right? She was here uh, a few weeks ago because Kira actually reached out and met her in a mall and, uh, and prayed for her. And Josephine, sorry, Josephine as well, and prayed for her. Listen, Heaven is rejoicing right now. Heaven is rejoicing right now. It's a holy moment. <laughs> Listen, so, sometimes it's hard to grasp these moments because we're still on earth. But right now, like, there's such spiritual things that are taking place. And so I, I just believe that Caroline has heard the word, has heard the gospel message uh, that, that Jesus is Savior. And so by you coming up here, I believe that you have confessed. You have confessed that Jesus is Lord, yes? Jesus, you want Jesus Lord over your life? Yeah, Jesus is Savior of your life. Guys, let's just bow our heads. We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now. I'm just going to pray that what you've already confessed by coming up here, that Lord would just seal it. 
I thank you, Lord, for Caroline's life. I thank you that you found her in that mall. I thank you that you that you rescued her. I thank you for this day, Lord, that we will talk about this for all of eternity. I will see her and for all of eternity we will speak of this moment. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, by the public confession of her faith, I pray that you would fill her right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would baptize her in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that her mind would be supernaturally renewed. We come against everything that has been spoken over her that is not in alignment. We thank you that in this moment she is no longer a slave to sin, but she is your daughter. We just speak that over you. You are a daughter of the king, been bought by his blood. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal this work. Lord, that you would clothe her, God. Clothe her, Lord. Fill her, fill her, fill her, Lord. Fill her right now, Lord. Fill her right now, Lord. No turning back in Jesus' name. A new day is upon you. The Lord is the bright morning star. When you see him, you know a new day is coming. There is a new day upon your life here this morning. No longer going back to old vices in Jesus' name. No longer going back to old thought patterns in Jesus' name. No longer going back to old relationships in Jesus' name. We pray newness, newness of life, newness of life in Jesus' name. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for everything new, Lord God. I thank you that old things pass away. They're dead and they die. I thank you for her new identity, God, that you see her as pure, holy, lovely, beautiful, wonderful, marvelous, that your eyes are upon her, just absolutely adoring her and in love, oh God. And I just pray for open doors for the next season, the new season, oh God. I thank you that you have ministering angels around her, oh God, and they minister to her about salvation, oh God, and they tell her who she is, oh God. I pray that she you would hear them, oh God. I thank you for every spiritual gift that you have given her, oh God. I pray that it would be used for your kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that you will, um, that her mouth will open, oh God, and that many will come to salvation because of the words in her mouth, oh God. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit living in her, God, that will guide her in all circumstances, oh Lord. And I thank you for just a tremendous amount of grace over her life to surrender and submit, oh Jesus. I thank you that every generational curse breaks at her life right now in Jesus' name, oh God. I thank you that her... Uh, her legacy with her children and, and children's children, oh God, that they will worship you and you alone, oh God. I thank you, Lord God, for setting her feet on a firm foundation, oh God, on a firm foundation. And I just pray, God, that you would give her uh, this special gift to always feel your presence, oh Lord, to really tangibly feel your presence, oh God. Wherever she goes, oh Lord, that she would know that she has a light on the inside, oh Lord Jesus. Direct her feet, direct her path, oh God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh my goodness, come on up. I'm so sorry. Come on. Hell lost another one. I am free. Come on, where's the worship team? Come on up here. Come on, what I want to sing Hell lost another one. Woo! 
Yes, yes. Salvation is in this house. Salvation is in this house. Come on, you shall call him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Woo! Cassandra, right? Cassandra and I went to high school together. It's awesome. It's awesome to see her. This is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So we're just going to pray. I know you've, you've, you've heard uh, the, the message that we shared. So I just ask, do, do, you, do you believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior? Yeah. Amen. So let's just pray. Let's just pray. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive today and that you save. Oh, that you save. We thank you that there's another one entering into your kingdom. We thank you that hell lost another one. We just declare today that you are alive, Jesus. That you are alive, Jesus. You are alive, Jesus. And we just pray right now. Father, you have heard the confession of Cassandra. You have heard the confession. You see what's in her heart. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would seal. You would seal what's taking place here right now. We pray that she would be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord. We ask that you would do it, Lord. We ask that you would do it, Lord. That there would be no turning back, no turning back. We thank you, Lord, that the good work that you're starting here, you are faithful, faithful to complete it. You are faithful to hold her. You are faithful to keep her. So we rejoice with the heavenly host this morning that your daughter, who was once lost, is found who was once blind, can now see. And right now, I just speak, I just speak against the lie of, of the enemy that will come after this moment, saying that this was something that she worked up. It's, it's, it's something that, uh, that, that wasn't real. But we thank you, Lord, that she has stepped forth by the prompting of your spirit. And we just declare that it is finished over your life. It is finished over your life. It is finished over your life. Fill, Lord. Fill, Lord. Fill, Lord. I pray for the peace of God, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Holy Spirit, you said that you would pour out the love of God in our hearts. I pray you would pour out the love of God in Cassandra's heart right now, Lord. I pray you would take that day that you died for her and make it real right now, Lord. Make it real right now, Lord. I pray you would just... Wreck her in the most beautiful way that you gave up your life for her, Lord. Yeah, I just, I just been, you begin with your family. The Lord said you begin with your family and you tell them that Jesus Christ has saved you this morning. It's okay if you don't know any scripture. You have a testimony. Jesus sent the Samaritan woman back into her town saying, declare what I have done. Jesus sent a demon-possessed man who is set free to go declare what he has done. And the Lord is saying, go tell your family what I've done for you today. Freedom in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that your blood, your blood breaks every curse. Your blood breaks every curse over Cassandra's life, oh God. Every word spoken counter to what you call her is broken off right now in Jesus' name. Every word she's even called herself, oh God, is broken off right now by the power of your blood, oh God. Yeah, she will be filled with joy. She will be filled with peace. She will be filled with kindness. 
She will be filled with gentleness. Oh, I thank you for her gentle, quiet spirit that your spirit is giving her, oh God. That you will fill her, fill her, fill her with joy. Fill her, fill her, fill her with peace, oh God. That it will surpass her understanding in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, how this new life will be absolutely contradicting the old one, oh God. <laughs> oh, that she, even as she walks out of this tent, oh God, that she will feel different, oh Lord. That peace, that your peace would mark her footsteps, oh God. That your presence would be so near to her. I thank you that she will never be lonely again, oh God. There will not be a lonely moment for her because you will be near her and in her, oh God. I thank you, Lord, that you break off sadness, oh God. That the oil of gladness will be upon her, oh Lord. Oh, oil of gladness, pour out over her right now in Jesus' name. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. I thank you, Lord, for the new day that you have for Cassandra, the new life, oh God. I thank you that there's heavenly hosts rejoicing and throwing a party right now for her, God. I thank you that her life will never be the same in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Is there anyone else? I guess we'll have to do the Christ next week. But come. It'll be good. <laughs> Is there anyone else? Anyone else? If it's in your heart, don't wait. Don't wait. If it's in your heart, don't wait. Jesus. Ooh. Amen. Can we just sing, How Lost Another One? <laughs> Come on, let's just close and worship here for a moment.
They make cases for different ones. But here's what I know is that whatever God was, was requesting, Cain had access to give that as well. And he did it. And, and Cain killed Abel. Like that critical thing got so bad that he murdered his brother because ultimately it says that when he saw Abel give the offering, he saw God re- respond with favor upon Abel's life. And the favor that he saw in Abel's life so disturbed him. And the sad thing is that he actually, he had access to give the same thing and receive the same thing. And we may not murder each other in that sense, but man, with our words, man, we could really tear each other apart. And the whole purpose of this is for us to be unified, to be unified in what we're going after and to give people like freedom to really pursue the Lord, worship the Lord, celebrate that he is not just with us in a building, but in our bodies. And so what I want to do is I just want to close by taking, uh, taking Holy Communion here together. And I want to, um, I just want to put this before you, that when we took, we did communion series earlier on in this year, we had mentioned about the importance of coming before the table rightly. And what that means is it's not about you getting yourself right, because that will never happen. When, when we come to this table rightly, it's about us coming in, in sincerity, in truth, and honesty, which means that, that there's stuff going on in our life. We don't hold that, but we come before him. And we say, Lord, like, man, I need, I need you to like, deal with this. And the beautiful thing is that when we come in this honesty and we come in this transparency, like he meets us, grace meets us, it's a person. And you find like healing comes to our hearts and that stuff that we're holding on to begins to break. And these wounds can actually minister to you. I mean, think about Jesus. If there's anyone, if there's anyone who understands what it's like to be on the wrong side of being mistreated, on the wrong side of a critical voice, it's Jesus. And yet he laid down his life for the very one who would betray him in this room. And so I really think there's something that can take place here. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. This body and this cup, it's, it's the cost that allows us to enjoy the gospel in the fullest way now. So one, we come here this morning with gratitude in our hearts that what David experienced with limitation, we have in its fullness because of this right here, what this table is leading us into. But also there's healing. There's healing in our hearts for offense. And so Lord, I just pray that as we come to partake of your body and your blood I pray that by the spirit that you would you would really weaponize these me- this meal and you would you would make it something that just confronts and heals in Jesus name I pray that you would you would you would lead us into a unity in where and where we are going I pray for a Psalm 133 blessing on this house I pray Lord that we would give you what you've always desired in this body. I pray, Lord, that we would be a house of David's. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your patience. That is all summed up right here. And so this bread, take this bread. Lord, I pray that as we partake of this bread, we would remember your wounds. We would remember your body that was broken, that brings wholeness and healing to us. And I pray, God, that as we partake together, I pray you would bring healing, wholeness, emotionally, physically, 
mentally, spiritually. In Jesus' name, let's partake together the bread. That tasted like cardboard. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Let's take the cup. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your blood that was poured out. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you have invited us all to join in into what you're doing here. And it's by your blood that we have access. We have access. You have sprinkled your blood on the mercy seat that we can enter in. So, Lord, we make it our number one priority to come before your presence and to worship you and to enjoy you and to celebrate what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake of this cup, that just that, that, that a breaking would happen over all of our lives, that there would be a new freedom, a new joy that we step into, new expressions of worship, new responses to, to what you have done and what you have paid for, Lord. I pray you would call out prophetic giftings and the arts and, and drawings and paintings and flag dancing, Lord, that, God, that we would become a celebratory body. Lord, we would celebrate night and day that you are with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's partake of his blood together. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. If there's anyone who needs prayer specifically, you can always come up. Worship team is going to worship a little bit longer, so you can come up and, and pray. But if not, we'll see you this week in some way. Revelation study. Beholding night Friday night. And we'll see you guys next Friday for Love Day, all right? God bless you guys.